Around this time of year, we hear stories of people giving back to the less fortunate in their communities. Whether it's Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol forgiving debts, or your local church donating money to a worthy cause, there's something about the holiday season that propels people to give. Last week, just before Christmas, I got the opportunity to interview Nathan Westwick from Wild Goose Coffee Roasters. I wanted to do an episode highlighting Wild Goose because they place a huge emphasis on giving back to their community, but not just during the holidays. Through their commitment and actions, the folks at Wild Goose remind us that we each have the power to positively influence those around us in practical ways at all times of the year. And what better time to be reminded than this holiday season? I'm Colin Mansfield, and welcome to Coffee Cannon. I'm here with uh, Nate Westwick from uh, Wild Goose Coffee in Redlands, California. And um, Nate, thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So for people who don't know anything about Wild Goose or or what you guys are, even where we are, um, could you give a little rundown of of who you guys are um, and kind of how you got started maybe? Yeah, sure. So we are in sunny Redlands, California, (laughs) which is... uh, you're not from the area. It's about halfway between LA and Palm Springs in the foothills. Uh, if you draw a center line between Big Bear, Palm Springs, and LA, that's us okay. uh, right here in Redlands. It's a great little town, lots of history here, and um, so that's where we're at. And I used to be a high school math teacher, okay. so I actually this is my second career. I taught high school math for about 15 years. Wow. Okay. And for the last five teaching, I started Wild Goose, and it ran. Uh, I kind of ran it during passing periods, shooting off emails and answering phone calls and and scampering to quickly teach pre-calculus and things like that. So it was a bit of an exciting uh, season. That's crazy. That is crazy. So um, at what point, I guess, it, was it just you that started the coffee roasting or did you have help? Was it? Yeah, no, I um, had lots of help actually. So okay. my brother was very integral integral in helping us get started. Um, I also had a, a lot of friends who really bought into the mission behind what Wild Goose was about. Mm-hmm. And without their crazy generosity, there's no way we'd be. So um, we started off at the local Redlands Farmer's Market. Mm-hmm. I would teach all day, um, come home, load up the truck, run down to the farmer's market, set up, <clears throat> and uh, you know we'd sell little eight-ounce bags of coffee. It was a really, really successful day if we sold 20 bags of coffee. So that meant 10 pounds. We were just on cloud nine. Wow. Um, nobody made any money off of it. Uh, the whole purpose was just for marketing anyway. But I had a team of about four or five guys, including myself. And you guys were all just volunteering? Totally volunteering. Wow. Yeah, we would come back home, you know, sit around my patio at night, you know, after hours of hawking, you know, coffee for a total of 10 pounds and yeah. and just, we we dreamed together. It was great. So there were some some really key guys. How did you, I mean, 
how did you even find each other? Like figure out that, oh, we all love coffee. Let's just spend our free yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, they were friends time. of mine. Okay. And so when I started to share what I was passionate about yeah. as far as you know, creating a business model that made a difference, sure. um, they were like, mate, we're on board. How can we help? Which is, is totally just, I, I, I'm still humbled by that because there's yeah. some, some guys who, uh, you know, they've all gone different directions and, and, you know, one has even passed away who, you know, let me our first coffee equipment to brew at the farmer's market. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, just, it's, it's really humbling when you, you know, you've got a, an idea, a passion. There's other people who literally give their blood, sweat and tears for, for this. And, uh, I, I owe a lot to them. That's wild. First off, like, I mean, I know you hear these, you hear these stories of people who start just kind of with a passion and then, and then make it into something that's not just profitable, but is, but is something that they, um, love doing. And, I think it's really cool that you guys have been successful. At what point did did it go from being an after school activity, if you will, I guess, to being your day job and your full time? Yeah, <clears throat> um, I've been out of teaching for about four years now. Okay, I probably stayed a little bit longer than I should have, as far as what my my internal capacity could handle. Mm-hmm. I have a Superman complex, so I think I can do all of it and sure. all of it really, really well. And I remember one summer, I was telling my wife right before the school year was about to start that, you know. Uh, as a teacher, I like to give letter grades. And so I said, you know, as, as a dad, I would give myself an A or an A minus. I said, but everybody else, including her, got my leftovers. Mm. And I told her, I, I don't want to do that again. And so we need to make a change. And so I actually went part-time um, after that. And that was a whole crazy story. Um, and then ended up taking the leap and uh, doing this full-time. Wow. That, and that must have been, I mean, did you ever think that you would, that you would, work in coffee in a full-time capacity. Was that something that... I mean, like, when I was in college, no. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> when I was in college, I studied engineering for, for uh, three and a half years, interviewed for jobs, and realized that I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So then I switched over to math just because it was the quickest way out. And uh, so I got my degree in math. And, and then after that, I didn't even know if I was teaching that I wanted to do and whatever. I kind of backed into that and ended up loving it and, and had you know, really good 15 years of teaching. It was, it was great. Mm-hmm. And had this passion, really the passion for me was um, trying to reconcile this this entrepreneurial bug that I had had ever since I was young with the philanthropic side. So yeah. as a teacher, it really filled that philanthropic side because I my, my passions were in investing in the people. It was never about right. the subject. So if I'm teaching Algebra 2, who cares about Algebra 2? Sure. But I got 35 people in my room who really needed someone to build into them and dignify them and let them know, hey, you can do this. You, you know, Whatever your dreams are, go ahead and chase them and do it. So for me, that was the draw. Yeah. And so it was all about investing in others. But there was this underlying entrepreneurial thing simmering in the background. Okay. And a friend made a comment uh, over coffee one day. <clears throat> I actually thought I was going into ministry and going to be a pastor. Okay. And he said, Nate, you know, I've known you a long time. And um, I, I, I don't see you as being fully content as a pastor. Right? You know, what about, and he just kind of planted this little seed about social entrepreneurialism. And it was fascinating because I it just opened up what had been about seven years of just latent thought about business, about philanthropy, about giving back, and um, you know using kind of all pieces of me for one common cause. And, mm. and uh, it was like it just lit a fire, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, coffee. What is it? What a great industry because there's so much good that can be done with coffee from the farm level to the local neighborhoods. And uh, so, holy cow, let's let's give that a shot. You were showing me the uh, the murals as we walked in of, of the farm to the cup and and what 
jumped out to me while you were talking about that is is you kept talking about the the people and how it's it's yeah it's a coffee and yeah it's a it's a crop but there's all these hands that touch it all along the way um sometimes hundreds to get it from the farm into yep. the final product so tell me about this uh, this one equals 10 thing how it how it got started and what it means was this something that you wanted to um, incorporate into the business from the beginning? It was. Okay. Yeah, in fact, that was the only thing that would allow me internally to shift from teaching into something else. Okay. It kind of, the genesis of it was that, I, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about fair trade coffee and good that can be done at the farm level. So that was kind of the non-negotiable for me is that, you know, if I want to start this coffee thing, I want to make sure that the coffee that we buy, the farmers are treated well. Mm-hmm. And so, and I thought, gosh, what would happen if and I love how dreams start that with yeah. that question, right? You know, Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to that. What would happen if, whatever medium they decide. So what would happen if we took this fair trade idea and brought it stateside? And so, you know, because there's a lot of great philanthropic projects within coffee. And every single one of them, when I did my research, they were all based abroad. Mm. And I think that's awesome. I mean, there's a huge need around the world, right? Mm-hmm. America is one of the wealthiest nations in, in, in history. So, so not to discount any of those, those facets, but I, I thought, gosh, you know, what about taking a, a coffee model and bringing that philanthropic do-good mindset here in addition to there? Mm-hmm. So is there any way we can get the two to coexist? And so that's where the one equals 10 came from. It was way at the very, very beginning. Um, and the, 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 the thought was for every pound of coffee we sell, let's donate 10 pounds of food to a local food bank. Okay. And that sounds outlandish. It sounds it sounds crazy. You know, the truth is we donate money, not food. Sure. Um, because food banks have a greater purchasing power than what I could do. So I don't go to Vons with a shopping cart because I can't. Then my dollar doesn't stretch very far there. Yeah. Nothing against Vons, uh, Kroger, Smiths, wherever you. You know. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, but it, instead, if I donate to the food bank, their resources are so bountiful. They're they're you know they can get a lot of food for not as much money, mm-hmm. and so the the economy of it works out. It's definitely sacrificial on our side, um, but even when we were doing farmers market, you know doing ten pounds in an, in an evening, every single pound of that had funds allocated to wow. go to our local food bank, and so that was it was key to me to to make that core to our business model, and that was enough to get me to make the career change because I could be an entrepreneur, I could run a business, I could exercise all those fun fun pieces of me and do some really good at the business model at the same time. And that was, I had to have those two mesh. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What, did you come up with it on your own? Was this a group thing? Like, hey, how can we incorporate this giving back to the community? Oh, let's do this. I think it was one of those, uh, that was what was sparked in that initial conversation. Okay. Was, was, oh, wait a second. What if, what if, what if, what, oh, we could, let me call the food bank. How much do you guys, what what can, what can a dollar buy? You know, whatever. Like, you know, let's, let's start digging into this and doing the numbers and going, oh, I I think this could, this could work. This is crazy. And one of my favorite stories about it, I was, I was sitting around the lunchroom uh, at the high school and sharing my, my vision for this, this business. And um, everybody had, had thought it was a great idea. And most of the, pe- the audience was younger. Sure. There was one older gentleman um, who has since retired and passed away. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me. He goes, Nate, that is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. And I thought, that's it. That's <laughs> perfect. That's all the confirmation I need. That's what I like to do the ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I'm five, seven and I played basketball. So I like to do the ridiculous. (laughs) You like to play the odds. That's right. (laughs) So uh, I I heard that the news caught on about this pretty early on. Um, What was that like? It was interesting. One of our challenges, you know, we're, we're coming up on nine years in business now. One of our challenges has always been uh, finding a way to tell the story in a succinct manner, because how do you, you know, Tom's has this great, you know, one for one thing. Sure. Um, you know, off the record, 
or could be on the record. I, I, th this idea of the Wild Goose 1 for 10 happened before I was aware of Tom's shoes. I'm not saying I'm a pioneer in this. It's more, <laughs> there's, a, there's a movement in, in, in American capitalism to be socially conscious. Absolutely. And so I'm honored to be a part of that. Um, so it was, it's always been a challenge because it's not, a, it's not a clean, easy. The 1 equals 10 has been our cleanest attempt at telling that yeah. story. But having a newspaper write an article, um, having local magazines write an article, uh, we were even in Barista Magazine back in the day. Yeah. You know, things like that, Fresh Cut, uh, it was really, really cool. And uh, it helps because a reader is going to read an article. <laughs> yeah. So it gave us some space to to tell our story in a way that that, that we could share in a, in a little bit lengthier. Narrative. Yeah, a cohesive so, kind of narrative. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Okay. Now, the funny thing is, you know, from a young entrepreneurial standpoint, you think, ooh, we're in this magazine. Ooh, we're in this newspaper. Ooh, we've got this publicity. It, it hardly translated to sales really? right out of the gate. So you have this false notion of like, oh, we're going to get popular it's, somehow. Yeah, it's gonna going to be better, better brace ourselves for all the orders that are going to come pouring in. And that didn't happen. Mm. And that's been a good lesson for me to, to know um, there's no such thing as a, as a silver bullet solution. You have to, you just have to keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward. And there's really no substitute for perseverance and hard work. And that's where we, that's why we are where we're at today. And I can't wait to see what the next five years are going to bring. Oh, because sure. I figured that out finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there so. is no silver bullet. I like that's right. that. Okay. So um, now for this, for donating to food banks, uh, do you guys just donate to the Redlands local food bank or is it each cafe kind of has their own yeah, local so food bank? A, a number of years back, we started working with a cafe in Camarillo. Mm -hmm. And so that's about two and a half hour drive away. And it occurred to me that customers coming into Camarillo might think, man, that's really great that my purchase of coffee is going to a Redlands area food bank. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And I thought, but how much more connected would they be if they knew that that purchase of the coffee would go toward a food bank in their local neighborhood? Right. And so uh, that's what was that, that kind of spurred on that, you know, that model or the, the refining of that model. So what we started doing was allocating money from uh, purchases that that cafe made to go to a Ventura County food bank. Okay. And then as we started to grow our distribution, now I think there's nine or ten different food banks that we donate to. Um, all but one of them are in California. One of them is in Pearland, Texas. So uh, what a crazy, you know, there was that hurricane that swept through. Mm -hmm. And to be able to give a donation to a Pearland, Texas food bank was really a, a, an honor for me to be able to say, look, this is a way that we can help because we work with a cafe in the Houston area. We did little postcards of the different food banks that we oh, okay. um, donate to. So uh, Joseph Storehouse Food Bank is the first one that we did here in Redlands. Food Share of Ventura County. Second Harvest Food Bank in Orange County. Atka Food Bank in the Groveland Sierra Foothills um, outside of Yosemite. Paraline Neighborhood Center in Paraline, Texas. Feeding America, i.e. from Riverside. Food Bank of Southern California in Long Beach. Feeding San Diego in San Diego. And Inland Valley Hope Partners in Claremont. Um, Super crazy. When I donate, I always answer credit card fraud emails and, and phone calls because people think that someone stole my card and is just giving money away. Really? Um, which oh I just gosh. I just chuckle like, yeah, it's me again. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I was going to ask. So, so when you reach out to these food banks, what, what's been the reaction, especially initially when it's like, hey, now we're doing this thing? Yeah, gratitude. Really? Um, and, and I always make the phone call to say I need to talk to the director and, and make sure that the money that we are giving is is an accurate statement. So is it is it true that this allocated amount is going to provide 10 pounds of food? 
Oftentimes the answer is more than mm -hmm. 10 pounds of food, but we just keep it at 10 to be conservative. Sure. And, um, and so, and they're, they're always very grateful. <clears throat> I got a phone call from the director at this uh, Sierra Foothills um, food bank a, a couple months ago. And she said, look, I just wanted to personally thank you for your recent donation. She's like, we have, you know, our community is very poor and most of them are very protein starved. And your donation allowed us to give out 720 dozen eggs to the members of our community. She's like, I wish you could have seen the looks on their faces when we pulled up and had eggs to give them. And I started choking up. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's powerful. She, you know, she, she's telling me how much we made their day. It made my day oh, because yeah. I was having a low day. I mean, you know, running a business has highs, it has lows, and, and it was a rough day for me. And to get that phone call, I said, I, you know, you, you have no idea how much you've, you've blessed me by that phone call. Um, thank you for the phone call. That really means a lot to, to us that we can take part in helping, you know, helping your community. And, and really that's what it boils down to is it's easy to get caught up in the machinations and the day-to-day -day of running a business. Mm -hmm. And um, to be able to see people walk into our, our, our tasting area up front and interact with real humans has been really uh, recharging for me personally. To be able to, to picture and see and interact with, you know, whether it be virtually over a phone call or whatever, mm -hmm. people who really are, are getting, uh, you know, blessed by the business model has just been humbling, rewarding. You know, I look back and I was just talking to a former student who ha happened by, you know, a few minutes ago. And, and just, you know, looking back at, you know, the genesis of this with working super hard at our local farmer's market mm -hmm. to now where, you know, Things are, are, are quite a bit different now than they were then. Oh, I bet. And uh, it's just, it's pretty surreal. Wow. So how much food have you guys donated so far? Yeah, so that's the crazy part. It's over a million and a half pounds of food, <laughs> which is like... Did you even what, no. did you even have a number in your mind when you started? <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> no, the, fir the, fir the, the first article that came out was in December of 2008 okay. uh, with our local paper. And it was like, hey, there's this new coffee company out and they're donating 10 pounds. And, we, you know... We had customers buying our coffee had provided over 250 pounds of food to Joseph Storehouse Food Bank here in town. Wow. Yeah. And at that time, I'm like, that's awesome. It's the holiday season. People are, you know, cold, they're hungry, they're whatever. And, and to, to be able to provide 250 pounds, that was, that was a big deal to me. And I'm like, that, this is working. That's awesome. And, and, but no, I mean, a million and a half pounds of food, it's, it's nuts. You know, and so now, you know, we've actually uh, stated that we have a goal of providing 5 million pounds by the end of 2019. Okay. And uh, I want it, you know, yeah. and, and it's not because I want it for me, you know, it's just, it's really gratifying to be able to have a business model that's giving back. You started around the holidays. It's now almost the holidays again, or I guess it is the holidays. Yeah. Almost 10 years later. What are you guys doing um, this holiday season? You're just telling me about it out front. Yeah. So every year we do a unique Christmas blend. Um, it's unique to each season. People ask why we don't keep it the same. The answer is partially because we don't want to because it's fun to mess around. Sure. Partially because different coffees are, you know, whatever we can get our hands on this season that's a really nice, good crop. And so this year's blend is a mix of um, Papua New Guinea, Guatemala, and Sumatra. And it's absolutely delicious. One of my favorite Christmas blends we've ever had. And um, and that's good. It should be. I hope next year's yeah. is even better because that's, that's our goal is to continually improve. So every year uh, we, we've been doubling our food donations. So we, we kind of jokingly say, you know, as a former math teacher, you know, one equals 10, the math doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and now we do one equals 20 for, for every pound of Christmas blend that we sell. Wow. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of fun. That is so. fun. What, what's the average, I guess, if you get a new uh, consumer walking in and they kind of see the one equals 10 thing, do you get a lot of questions about it? Um, or do you guys kind of, hey, by the way, you know. Yeah, so 
Most, it's, it, that's an interesting question. So most people, when they first engage with us, well, let me back up. When we were doing our market night, farmer, farmer's market days, that, that was really telling for me because I noticed um, that we would draw from two different segments of coffee drinkers. So one segment was the high quality, I just want a really great cup of coffee mm-hmm. people. And they didn't care as much about the cause. They just wanted a really great cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. The other segment was the people who really wanted to support a cause. But they didn't care as much about the quality of the coffee. Gotcha. And so when I talk with other cafe owners, because most of what we do is wholesale, um, I'll say if you, if you drew a Venn diagram, those two circles are not mutually exclusive, the mm-hmm. cause-oriented drinkers and the quality-oriented drinkers. But the overlap is a lot less than you would think. Okay, gotcha. And so when we are working with a cafe, we're actually helping to increase their market share because they're going to draw the quality people and the cause people. Mm-hmm. So we see both coming in through our doors, and it's really interesting. So a, lot of, a lot of them have heard about us. We're fortunate enough now where people are coming in because – Oh, I've always wanted to come and see you guys. And that's so cool. <laughs> that's got to be <laughs> I always cool. wanted you to want to see us. And so, yeah. you know, here you are. And, and uh, so we've, we've made some flyers um, to help tell our story. A lot of people are buying uh, Christmas blend as gifts this year. Yeah. And, you know, again, we, you know, we can say one equals 10 and a lot of people don't know what that means. And that's okay because we can hand them the flyer and say, yeah, take a look. You yeah. Know, read it on your own time. It's a, it's a super, you know, three small segment, you know, part of our story and, and uh, lets people know that what they're doing is actually taking part. And that, that's our goal. The goal is never, you know, we want Wild Goose to be a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And really the hero here is the consumer, the cafe owner, the people who are saying, hey, we want to pick Wild Goose. And because the reason we want to pick Wild Goose is the, is the quality and the, the mission. And mm-hmm. we want to take part in that. And they're the ones that get the credit. You know, we're just passing coffee around and pushing some money to some food banks. So. So we've talked the uh, we've talked the mission side of it. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you guys do to educate kind of your not just the consumer base, but the people in Redlands, and I'm sure people in other in other parts of California. And, and how do you educate them on on the coffee side? And have you seen that kind of change the way that people look at your coffee? For sure. So we jokingly, when we're talking with when we're doing a training with with a new cafe staff. We'll, we'll tease them about, hey, you know, challenge your customers to take the wild goose challenge. What's that? Like, well, take your first three sips of coffee black. And, and after that, put whatever you want in there, cream and sugar. We're not going to judge. You know, I always tell them, like, at the end of the day, you want to love your customer. That's your goal as a sure. cafe and as a staff. You know, so you don't want to make them feel stupid. Um, but challenge them. Like, say, hey, hey, take the challenge. Take your first three sips black. So we were working with a local university. I started telling them to do that. And all of a sudden, we had all these college students who, you know, are kind of categorically cream and sugar people yeah. drinking their coffee black because they, they were taking the challenge. They were, they were noticing that it was different. And uh, so that's kind of fun here at, on site. We do public cuppings every Friday and you know, it's really, really cool because people will come in. They have no idea what they're doing. They just yeah. know that it's a tasting and that it's free. You know, I say it's risk-free coffee tasting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just come on in and, and enjoy. Worst case scenario, you don't like it. You still got free coffee. Exactly. You get a little <laughs> buzz and you're good to go. So, um, so when they come in, we, it, it's a cool opportunity for us to explain how we evaluate coffees because when we do the cuppings here it's all of our production roasts and then we explain like look we do this with every single one of these coffees that's on the table before Mm -hmm. we ever bring it in so if i'm going to bring in 40 or 50 bags of a particular coffee each bag is 150 pounds of green coffee we're talking thousands of pounds of coffee yeah it's like test driving a car i better know what i'm getting right so you know like our guatemala that we have here um we sampled you know seven or eight different guatemalas and said okay which one is the all-star that's what we want 
something in. And mm-hmm. we do that for every single coffee in our lineup. And it's a cool way for us to, to show the customer, you know, this is, this is the care that we put into sourcing our coffee. And, you know, that translates in, in the finished product. Also, when you're doing a cupping, you're not drinking it with cream and sugar. And so right. sometimes people are like, oh, we, we're not, oh, no, it's black. Enjoy it, you know. And they do. And they can see, oh, my gosh, you know, an Indonesian coffee is way different than an African coffee, Absolutely. which is way different than a Central American coffee. And it's a really cool way to educate, educate that. What's really cool is uh, when we start to hear feedback of like, man, you guys have such awesome coffee or, or when people really engage with the quality side, that makes me happy because mm-hmm. what started this business was a heart for the mission side. Mm-hmm. But I knew from the get-go that if we didn't have killer coffee, then we can only do so much good. Absolutely. And so, you know, I, way back when um, I went to Seattle, I did a, a coffee recon trip, went to a trade show out there, went with my buddy and... Uh, he had a list of cafes that were all very quality oriented. I had a list of cafes to go visit that were all very community oriented. Mm-hmm. And what was fascinating about that trip was there was nothing that stood and bridged the gap between the two. Really? If you were quality oriented, nobody knew really a whole lot about where the coffee came from. Maybe a little bit. Um, but, you know, this was back in 2007, 2008. Sure. So, was, you know, that, those stories weren't being told with as much frequency. Yeah. The community oriented cafes, their coffee was terrible. And I thought, man, if I lived here, my heart would want to vote for the community cafe, but my palate would have to go with the quality. Absolutely. I yeah. said something needs to be right in between. And so we, you know, that, that's where Wild Goose enters in. It's kind of bridging that gap on the quality side, the community side. And, and really our goal, if we're doing it well, is to educate the consumer about both. And so we want them to know where their dollar is going. We also want them to appreciate on the palate side. So on our bags, we'll have cupping notes and and, uh, you know, we don't go over the top. I, I joke that some coffees I've seen uh, from from some cupping descriptions from other entities have, you know, had things like finely diced clementines. Yeah. People laugh because obviously you're not going to taste a finely diced clementine. Right. But you get the point. Where ours is just simple three, three uh, flavor description. Mm-hmm. Usually the first word is what you get on the front end of the cup. The middle one is what you get in the middle. The last one is how the finish is. And we just keep it as simple as possible because – but what we hear from feedback is people will taste it. They'll go – I really do taste, you know, the passion fruit in that. Sure. Yeah, it's there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so enjoy. We didn't just make it up. I right, swear. <laughs> exactly. We're describing what we're tasting. Right? You know, do you add those flavors? No, it's like wine. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have fun with it. So what have you found to be the most difficult part about uh, both educating your your the consumers that walk into your shop and then also educating on the wholesale side? Yeah. What are some What are some of the challenges, I guess? When you have a willing audience, the education is easy. Mm. Finding the will, willing audience is is the challenge. I think that's the challenge of any business, yeah. right? Most businesses that are out there, I would say the overwhelming majority of businesses that exist are really trying to fill a hole in something that they see, right? It's a service and they, you know, most most businesses that are successful are really doing it because they see, I'm going to say an opportunity, but I don't mean that in a dirty way. Like yeah. a, a way to really it's to serve the customer. Serve sure. the customer. So how do you find the customer that's interested in being served in that manner? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for us, that's always the, interesting caveat is you know are there people who who are interested in learning more we'll we're you know happy to talk their ear off about it part of it that i found is interesting is when i talk to people about coffee everybody has seems like everybody has an opinion on on coffee um and everybody maybe they don't think they're an expert but they certainly know how they like it or if they like it absolutely so I've always wondered if, if when people come in to do a public tasting or if you're talking to somebody who, who works in coffee, 
um, who feels as though they, they know a lot about coffee. Um, if there's ever, I guess, some, some conflict, they're like, well, actually, you know, this is, this is the right, you know, right way. Maybe not, may be the more patronizing way of putting it, but sure. Um, I've wondered yeah. if, if there's, if there's some difficulty there sometimes. So yeah, it's an interesting observation. People in coffee tend to be opinionated. Mm -hmm. People who are self-proclaimed coffee snobs often are learning how to be coffee snobs. Yeah. If, I don't want that to be misconstrued, but um, I was, when I first started off, I was like, oh, I'm a total coffee snob. I drink, you know, big box coffee all the time. Yeah. Oh, and then my eyes were opened or my palate was open. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, and then it's like any subject, the more you learn about it, the more you realize you don't know. Absolutely. You know, I'm with Co you Kobe there. Bryant, <laughs> I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan and his jerseys just got retired this week. Yeah. And he was talking about the end of his career, how much work he had to put into his game. And it wasn't because he was, obviously he was getting older, but you know, if you're the best player on the planet, most people don't realize how, how much he, he had to work in order to achieve the greatness. And then to continue to work, to continue to get better and better and better. Mm -hmm. I think he understood that you, you, you never need to, you, you can't ever stop growing. Right. You can't ever stop growing in your knowledge and your experience and in your skill set and all these things. And so um, the people who have spent more and more time in the coffee industry oftentimes tend to approach it with a, a degree of humility. Now, we're not, we don't roast the same as everybody else. Sure. You know? So we're not, we don't roast really, really dark. Um, you know, we're on the lighter side of the spectrum. We're not on the fully, you know, super light side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but we are on that that end of things. And so it's interesting when a coffee drinker comes in, um, there is an element of education. To, you know, if they say, what's your boldest, darkest roast? Well, you know, we roast everything a little bit lighter mm -hmm. and here's why, you know, we don't. So I go through my, my, my spiel when I, when I was yeah, in college. Give it, give it to me. Yeah, when I was in college, uh, I swore by Trader Joe's Bay Blend, and I'm giving them a shout out because it was <laughs> like it got me through college. Yeah. And I would I would get my canister, I'd pull open that metal foil and have this burst of aroma, and those beans were like jet black and oily, and they, and I was like, that's the good stuff right there, right? Right. And so when we explain to customers, you know, who are used to that, I was one of them. It's okay. Um, we don't roast that way. Well, why don't you roast that way? Well. You know, those oils turn rancid with, with oxygen really, really quickly. So if you've ever had two or three cups of coffee and your stomach is upset, it, I, I can't have two or three cups of sour milk without my stomach being yeah. upset too. You know, those oils turn rancid. And so we're actually ingesting rancid oil. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, for us, we choose to keep the oils on the inside, which preserves freshness, preserves flavor. I tell people, you know, you can drink Wild Goose coffee all day long. You're not going to get a stomachache. You'll have other issues. You'll get the caffeine shakes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to get stomach issues because, you know, we keep our oils fresh on the inside. And so um, so we do take that opportunity to, to educate. And now that said, we do have a French roast. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, our version of a French roast is – I'm going to get nerdy real quick. You're good. Please I, do. I'm a math and physics guy. Yeah. So uh, there's the coffee turning around in the machine. Yeah. And when it hits the cooling tray – there's an extra burst of kinetic energy as those beans are spilling down and, and hitting that tray. Yeah. Our version of a French roast is ba barely hitting second crack uh -huh. as those uh, are hitting the cooling tray. Okay, gotcha. And so, so it's like the oil just over second crack. Just like the, the very early stages of second crack. Okay. And so, um, so the oils never reach the surface of the bean. And so that's when we that's where we call it good enough. You know, now other people's version of a French roast might be 20 degrees beyond that. And you know, if you're familiar with the coffee roasting process, two or three degrees makes a huge difference yeah. at the end of the roast. And so, um, you know, so we do, we do offer a darker roast, but it's darker roast that we feel good about, Yeah. you know? And so it has some of the qualities of a darker roasted coffee. It also has some of the qualities of a lighter roasted coffee. 
I hate to admit that I love it. Uh, do I drink it all the time? No, I like Eastern African coffees better. You yeah. Know? So I'm usually hitting the Burundi or the Congo sure. or the whatever, but uh, you know, it's, it's dang good. So we, you know, if we're going to do something that's going to, cause at the, you know, a, a coffee mentor of mine, you know, said long ago, Nate, at the end of the day, it's about selling coffee, mm-hmm. you know? And so there is that element of needing to offer what the marketplace is asking for. That said, we are not, Starbucks, we're not coffee bean, we're not going to roast to that degree. Yeah. They've got a market share for themselves. We are in a different sphere, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. People say, Oh, I like Starbucks, I'm sorry. And I'm like, You don't offend me. That's okay. You don't have to apologize. Yeah, you're allowed okay. to like Everybody, what you like. You're allowed to like what you like. Yeah. Exactly. So. Cool. So, okay, so I noticed you were roasting on a probot, and those are pretty hard to score. So, what's the story there? Yeah, that's a crazy story. Okay, so I, I was teaching at the time. And I was sitting in my classroom, first period. My kids were in the computer lab, so I had a little bit of time to myself. Uh, they were working on their things. So I was sitting in the back and um, just felt strongly compelled to call this particular importer in San Diego. And uh, to, you know, we, I'd already been pursuing learning how to roast. So, so at break, I called the importer. This is early, you know, early in the morning and asked for some green coffee samples if they could send, a, send them my way. Now, so the, they always screen you out when, when you're asking for that sure. to make sure that you're you know, a potential client or whatever. So I told her about my business model, and I said, yeah, we're actively in the market for a, a commercial-sized coffee roaster. This is still market night, you know, farmer's market days. And uh, she's like, oh, you are? She's like, hang on just a second because I just got an email. I can't remember if it was that morning or the night before mm-hmm. from somebody here in town selling, selling a roaster. I was like, oh, well, what is it? She's like, well, it's a ProBot 12 kilo. I said, let me know. <laughs> so I called, I called the guy, and uh, it turned out to be Bird Rock Coffee Roasters in La Jolla. And that happened to be the one coffee shop. I went to college down in, in La Jolla at UCSD. Okay. So whenever my family and I would go you know, to the beach, we, we'd always go to La Jolla because it's just really cool down there. Yeah. And I would always go out of my way to go to Bird Rock Coffee Roasters for their coffee. Sure. They weren't around when I was a student, um, but as I started getting into coffee – and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me! Like, I just had a conversation with the barista um, just a minute, you know, like a couple, couple weeks ago. Going, yeah. no wonder your coffee's so good. You guys are roasting on a probot, and uh, so you know, I, I started to chuckle because I, I would go down there for training. You know, Chuck, the owner, would, would train me on how to roast the, the machine. You know, the, the probot. They actually won Coffee Roaster of the Year award from Roast Magazine the same year that, that <laughs> we contracted to buy their, their roaster. So I got good training, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And I thought, man, any, you know, this is two hours away. I, I could have been going to Bakersfield and instead yeah. of going to La Jolla, you know, to learn, to learn how to roast. And what was crazy is, um, we had actually contracted to, to, to purchase the machine and we were supposed to get it in March of, I want to say 2009. It, it turned out I, we didn't actually get it until March of 2010. So for a full year, I would teach, this happened like every Wednesday, I would teach right after school. I would drive the two hours down to La Jolla I would roast coffee on his machine, both for practice and because we needed to sell it at the farmer's market on Thursday night. Yeah. I'd bag it all up there on site, go grab a bite to eat, come home, get home 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, you know, say hi to my wife, <laughs> go to bed, get up in the morning, teach, load up the truck, you know, do market night. I mean, it was, it was insane. We did that for, for a, full, a full year, every seven-ish days running down to La Jolla. And oh I'll never gosh. forget... Uh, the very first bat- batch of, of green coffee that I bought on my own because I used to just buy green coffee from Bird Rock. And finally, I was like, okay, I just need to buy my own. And we had three bags of coffee, so 450 pounds of coffee mm-hmm. delivered to, to my garage um, because I needed someplace to store it. I was still roasting it in La Jolla. Yeah. And I, I remember my wife shot me a, a picture of the coffee when it arrived. 
and, and I, I got sick to my stomach. I'm like, we are never going to sell this cop. Like, how am I going to sell 450 pounds? Of yeah. Milk? We are never, we've done way more than that already this week. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> now about, it's like, know, now it's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Four, <laughs> like I, you know, I need more than, you know, a pallet or two, which is 10 bags, 20 bags, you know, like, yeah. like let's, it just, I, I laugh, but, but yeah, so we're roasting on our probot. It was awesome. And then, uh, about two or three months ago, a second probot fell in our laps. And so, you know, what I've learned is when, when good things fall in your lap, you say yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you figure it out later. We had a Diedrich coffee roaster for a while mm-hmm. that carried us through when we moved locations from our previous spots to this space. And, uh, it was a great roaster to have. And it also reaffirmed that I really liked the probot. And so <laughs> while enough, we were roasting yeah. on the Diedrich, we, um, refurbished the probot, got that back up and running. We were able to, to sell the Diedrich and then, you know, a few months later, pick up a, a second probot. So not, not, not half bad. Not half bad at all, <laughs> man. That's awesome. That's a great story. That was fun. Wild Goose, so the name, where'd that come from? Yeah, I get asked that question all the time, and it's funny because I never would have predicted that I would have been asked that question, but, okay. <laughs> but the genesis of the of the story is this. Um, Celtic farmers, you know, ancient, way back in the day, yeah. would hunt wild geese. And so when they would hunt wild geese, the pursuit of the wild goose would lead them on crazy, unpredictable adventures. Okay. And so they'd come after their hunting you know, excursions, sit around the campfire at night, and share of their hunting exploits with one another as though it were this like grand adventure that far exceeded their wildest dreams and expectations. So it became a term of endearment for God, chasing after the wild goose will lead you on crazy unpredictable adventures that will far exceed your wildest dreams. For me, uh, I had to name the business Wild Goose when I heard that story because you know nothing has gone according to script with me in this business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. But everything has been way better than I could have written myself. And so it's kind of a, an homage to, to the story an homage to you know kind of what we're trying to accomplish with the mission and the quality and doing everything with excellence, and uh, and, and that's that's where the name came. From. And a reminder too, because if something doesn't go your way, oh my gosh, a reminder for so many things. One yeah. being, this is not the Nate Westbrook show. Yeah, it never has been. You know, this is about you know the business itself being a vehicle for doing some really good things, following the adventure, um, hanging on for dear life. Sometimes you know it's it's like the the roller coaster of life type of a thing and. I heard somebody describe, you know, a life well lived is like a terrifying roller coaster where you're just screaming out of like half terror, <laughs> half delight. And when you come into the station, like, how was it? That was awesome. Yeah. Do you want to do it again? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's, that's, I would love to live a life like that. You know, yeah. That's been my own wild goose chase here. All right. I got one more question for you. Uh, if you had to pick one espresso or pour over, oh. you had to. <laughs> okay. So, uh, pour over. Pour over, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know that's not popular. <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm I, with you. I had both today, so don't you know? Don't judge. Absolutely. Uh, there, there, there's a silly reason for it. I love espresso. It depends. It depends on the mood I'm in. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest, but I typically will go pour over more than I go espresso. Well, and do, certainly for people who are brewing at home, like getting a good pour over, it's, it's a lot cheaper. Way more cheap. Yeah, way cheaper <laughs> and way more attainable. Three to four thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's true. I, I do like pour overs. I like that it's clean. I like that I can take an eight ounce cup. It, I, I I nurse my coffee so. Yeah. You know, we joke when we do our public cuppings that the coffee will change as it cools, and that's a good thing. We want when we we only bring in coffees that maintain their stability as they cool. Yeah. And the joke around here is that you know it's got to pass the test for Nate's desk because a lot of times <laughs> I'll make a coffee when I walk in and I'm not even finished with it by one in the afternoon because I'm always running around doing you know this or that. It's a completely so, different cup. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I need to enjoy it. 
all day long. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Awesome. Hey, if people want to buy your coffee or get in touch with you or where should they go? Sure thing. Uh, wildgoosecoffee.com. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. You guys sell like direct to consumers from there? We do. We okay. ship uh, direct to consumer all, across all the coasts and then we wholesale anywhere UPS will go, which is pretty much anywhere. Right so. on. <laughs> all right. So go buy Wild Goose Coffee. Nate, thank you very much. Thank I really you, appreciate Tom. you appreciate taking it. the time um, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you.